0: Carly, thank you. Thank you for leading us this morning. That was, yeah, just so intimate, so, um, I would say, just present with the environment, um, the heart of our church community. I so appreciate uh, your willingness to come and serve here once a month. It is a gift, and we honor you. Epic Church, and this church uh, that i talked about before the service for some of you that weren't in the room uh, you guys you model this uh, caring for the poor the widow the orphan uh, those that are in a place of great trial i've always i've always admired uh, pastor joyce so much lived on the streets in In Vancouver in in the places of greatest darkness greatest pain she she immersed herself in there for I think ten years lived right there with the drug addicts and the prostitutes Um, so you come out of a a decade like that your your life will never be the same and she leads with that character and that uh, intentionality uh, in their church here in our city and so much of where we know uh, the Lord is taking us as a church here at CLA is to be more mindful, more aware, more present with the things that break God's heart. And it just makes a lot of sense when there's chaos and trial and challenge and confusion all around us. I'll tell you what, you know what the, the best antidote for that is? Is giving of your life and serving those who are less fortunate. It completely changes your perspective. And it helps us reevaluate when we put our head on the pillow how, as Ro said, how fortunate we actually are. And how we take things in life that at the time seem so major, but in fact are so minor. And we move towards the character of Christ and the heart of Jesus. And that's really where today is landing in our next installment of Living the Gospel. This is part six. We've been in this for a few months now. We'll land the plane here at the end of October but I do feel in my heart that the message for today is very timely as well as almost like a a, a part of a vision statement or vision for CLA. We know that when times get tough and when we are feeling like we have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring, which has been this season in so many ways, in different capacities for for all of us, depending on where we are in life and the responsibilities that we have and influence that we carry in our workplaces, some of you in business, some of you in academics, some of you in local church ministry and beyond in the medical field. We have such a diversity here. But there is a point of reference that is so cliche but so right on, and that is... Who Jesus is and how he modeled and today is all about three things being present with Jesus becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus modeled how, how many of you would say that's a good template and I believe the more that we align with the character of Christ and the actions of Christ and the heart of Christ, I think the more we will see things through a lens that has eternal perspective, that has a perspective beyond what we see in front of us today. And I find myself, or at least I feel the Lord is forcing me into that train of thought so that I can see through all of the chaos. And that vision that Jesus shared with us that really sums up those three statements is simply this in two words, to follow me, he says in his scripture. In that first century, the invitation was called uh, discipleship. We read that. I've talked about it in the weeks past. And we use that word today, but most often we use it as almost like a verb, the questions of who are you discipling in your life, or who are you being discipled by? Are you being discipled? That's often some questions that we've asked if you've grown up in the church. That's a familiar context. That often translates to almost one-on-one mentorship or group connection, weekly meetings, guided book studies, which I love all of those things. Who loves that type of investment? Of course we do. These are great things, but it's not exactly the way discipleship was used biblically. When we read this word disciple, it's almost always as a noun, not a verb. It's an identity that you take on and not something that you do. It's a statement about who you are at the core. That's how it's modeled in Scripture. Disciples in Jesus' day were people who committed... Their entire selves to live under a rabbi's life and teaching. Many of you who know the Gospels, understand the scriptures, would recognize that model. The English word used today that most entirely captures this is the word apprentice. And I've thrown that word out over this series through the weeks. An apprentice is someone who is trying to learn something from a master to take on everything about who they are. And that involves sitting and talking. But of course, the most important thing that it involves is practicing and actually doing what you are receiving. Who's with me? Very important. If you're trying to learn a trade, one that I'm very passionate about is carpentry and renovations. I can sit and watch YouTube videos all day long. I can sit and glean from some of the best finished carpenters, who actually, I believe, are in this room. Shout out to Irv Croker if you're here today. Uh, there are many, many talented gifts when it comes to the trades that you can relate to. But at some point, I can't just watch and read and study. I have to get my hands dirty and particip- participate in the practice in order for me to become an expert over the years and decades following. Jesus discipled all sorts. We see that. We recognize that he turned things around when he came and modeled a whole different perspective on this. He had his intimate group. He had his 12. He had the beyond that he worked with, and then he had the crowds, and it continued from there, but... Nobody, nobody was disqualified from an opportunity that Jesus was presenting through his words, through his heart, through his mandate that he came to bring. He taught them, but he also challenged them to participate. Whenever we see the words of Christ in Scripture, we recognize that there's more challenge than anything towards putting these things to action. Our best Attempt to summarize that whole ancient journey called discipleship goes something like this, as I mentioned at the beginning. Be present with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus modeled. I want to look at these three things this morning. Firstly, being present with Christ. Mark 1, verse 16 17 says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I want to stop there. There's something revolutionary that just happened in this moment where Christ, as mentioned earlier, he flips the script on this whole system He invites the leftovers, the ones who were rejected by the rabbis. Peter, who was a fisherman, Matthew, who was a tax collector. It's a fascinating study if you've ever done it. I'm sure some of you have in this room, but I'll explain it very briefly. It was the ultimate goal to be chosen by a rabbi. These young kids worked their entire lives, these Jewish kids, to be chosen by the elite of the rabbi. They worked hard memorizing full books of the Torah to be chosen, to be recognized, to be noticed, so that they could be pulled from the so many and be the one that is put in a place of apprenticeship with these rabbis. It took on a nature of its own. It was something like today where a child wants to become an athlete or an actor or someone of great significance, back then it was being chosen to be mentored and apprenticed by a rabbi. But by turning a competition for the elite into a free invitation, Jesus is offering a brand new identity to the world and to each of these young kids He used this word called. That was the word. This is different. This is a different kind of rabbi. Turning the whole discipleship system upside down. A system and an idea that we have access to today. Not long after this moment in Mark 1, Jesus explains this invitation. He says in Mark chapter 3, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus will teach his disciples everything he knows. He will send them out to preach. He will fill them with the very power that has filled him. But first he called them. It's the call. That they might be with him, the scripture says. To be present with Jesus, that is where discipleship starts. And one of the things that really got Jesus in trouble with the religious is the way that he prayed. I've shared some of this thought before. When Jesus prayed, he called his father God. He called him Abba. By the first century, there was such a a, a reverence for God. They no longer used the personal name of Yahweh. More commonly, they referred to God at that time as Elohim. It was a title and one of reverence, but not particularly one of intimacy. Calling someone by their title instead of their name. Well, for example, for all of the those in the medical field in this room, there's a few doctors. That would be the term, the doctor or mister, or one of title. It's respectful and formal, but a bit distant. Here's the deal. The more relational intimacy you have with someone, the more you drop the formality of a title. Who agrees? Devin does not call me Pastor Tim. <laughs> I don't think she ever has in our 15 years of knowing each other. Maybe she has in a with a smile on her face when she's trying to get my attention. But we drop that because of the intimacy of relationship. The four Gospels... Are written in Greek, we know this, but not every word. Abba, an Aramaic term, sneaks through, untranslated, as I did some study. Such an intimate term, they didn't know how to translate with, without diminishing Jesus's voice. A word of endearment from a child to a father, that's what Abba represents. It reminds me of just a few days ago, as I was finishing up preparing today, Thinking about my daughter Verity, who was at the frontier dancing this morning in her sway. I don't know where she gets that, probably from me. Verity, we have a nightly ritual where I take her often to the bathtub for her little bath before bed. I love when I get to do this when I'm home and the opportunity. This day, just a few days ago, was a bit different when she came out of the bath which was, she was in there for a long time. We were playing with Shopkins, and does anyone know what a Shopkin is? There's a couple of you, little mini toys, and we line them up, and we shoot them off, and she has a boat, and it's awesome. It takes me, it takes me uh, back to my childhood. But this day was a little bit different, because it's really never happened before to me, where she got out of the tub, and she walked off the tile into our bedroom, and And uh, proceeded to pee on the rug right in front of me. And I looked and I said, are you serious? You've been in the hot water for 30 minutes. (laughs) And now? And then she runs over to the other side of our bedroom and pees again. And you can imagine, I wasn't happy. (laughs) I'm very particular. So I'm calling for Devin. I'm getting a little bit excited. Uh, to say it lightly, and trying to find. Thankful, we have a new dog, and we've got this great spray for accidents. As I start to clean this up, I'm racing from our room, and I'm running into the laundry room. And as I run into the laundry room, I, with bare feet, I step, <laughs> and I look down, and there it is. Not number one, but number two. <laughs> While my daughter is laughing, running through the hallways, thinking she's the funniest thing ever, here I am. And I won't get into more details, but you can imagine. I share that story with you. It has so much purpose, I promise you. (laughs) Because after I, I calmed down from the anxiety of having to have everything so clean in my home... I looked at her as I laid her down on the ground and started to put her diaper on after we cleaned her up. And with total sincerity, I said to Verity, I love you. I love you so much. If any any of your children would have done that in my house, it wouldn't have been the same reaction, I promise you. Maybe (laughs) externally, but internally, there would just be no grace for a moment like that on my carpet. But with my own daughter, there's a tolerance. It makes no sense logically, but there is this mystery written into the heart of a parent, for all of you parents, this uncontrollable love for these little people who most often just inconvenience us at that young age. During those beginning days, they do that. But there's something about the relationship between child and parent. Whether you are a parent or you know of or you're experiencing a, a healthy relationship with your parents, we all have a different story. You can relate somewhat to what I'm saying. And this is Jesus calling his father God Abba. It couldn't be translated because it was so intimate. And if we, you and I, are made in the image of God, then the mysterious heart of the Father who lives in me points back to one place, to the one who promises to love me with an everlasting love that I can't shake no matter how hard I try, to the one that the priest called Elohim, but Jesus chose to call Abba and has not been changed for thousands of years in translation. You see, you can make a mess of your life as often as you'd like. You can lose the plot of the one only true story, and you can ignore everything he tries to tell you that's important and blame him for all sorts of things which I've done over the years, things that he's got nothing to do with. There will still be a mysterious affection in the Father's heart for you and for me, Church, that will never, ever change. There is a quote. I don't even want to try to pronounce this person's name. Um, but look at it on the screen there. Yeah. Renirio. Yeah, something like that. If the written word of the Bible changed into a spoken word and became one single voice... This voice, more powerful than the roaring of the seas, would cry out, The Father loves you. I love that. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. It's no wonder that the image of Father has been so distorted by so many earthly fathers who have abused this title. Can you imagine how much is at stake if we really could grasp the Father's love for us? Jesus called His disciples that we might be with Him, that we might know His love, delight in His company, and discover our true selves. Rediscovering the name that He gave us first in the light of His presence, back to it, that we might be with Him. That is His desire. The flip side comes near the end of that Sermon on the Mount that so many of us know in the Gospels. The ones who say, Jesus... But I cast out demons in your name. I preached in your name. I did miracles in your name. And it's quoted, as you know, I will tell them plainly that I never knew them. The invitation was such a radical reversal of the world of that time that we cannot import and we should not import our system into the call of Jesus and then call it discipleship. We can't do that but we do because sometimes it feels safe and it feels like the right thing to do, but there's something so much deeper and intimate that the Lord is desiring of his kids. Very, very early on, the disciples were getting antsy, if you remember, about being with Jesus and just the, the business of Christ. They were ready to be productive. I mean, good hearts. Peter probably led that charge He was ready to go. We see in John 6, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And then Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. The Greek definition of this word believe in that passage is an active, walked-in belief. That means the don't believe and the can't receive, okay, are one and the same. You can believe something in your brains, but not in your bones, and then have repetitive thought patterns and emotional cycles that directly contradict that doctrine. You just can't. The sort of belief is embodied belief. It's a walked-in kind of belief. It's not intellectually accepting the promises of Jesus. It's actually receiving them into the here and the now of your life, receiving the promises, the living, working, active, daily life that we all are a part of. Very important to realize this. In my, now three, into my third decade of church ministry, which I am so honored and privileged to to be running in, I can confidently say that the number one obstacle of the modern believer, the obstacle that they face when it comes to discipleship or apprenticeship, is the love of God. We struggle to believe in a God as powerful, good, knowing, loving as the one Jesus introduced us to in the Gospels. Now, you might push back on that as I say it, but the reality is at the core of who we are, the way that we respond, the insecurities that manifest out of our life shows that this is a struggle. Because if it wasn't, we wouldn't react the way we do at times. Believe in it intellectually, sure, like I do and have, but receive it, and actively walk in it, this is the work of God. Not to intellectually accept a series of doctrinal truths. It's that Abba would get all the way into your core. That's the most important thing. To rewrite your family history and the generational dysfunction where Abba would travel through the pathways of our thoughts, our brain, and he would actually heal those destructive thought patterns at the core, that's the God that we serve, that it would live in your gut until it calms your anxiety, the love of God. That it would stop the need to be a certain someone in a certain room or that temptation to let other voices in our life define who you are or even the temptation to define God by all of those things, to insist that He is someone other than Abba. I hope you hear this this morning, church. I found this so interesting. The the best modern translation for the ancient Greek word believe, as I've talked about, is the modern English word relax. What do you want us to do, Jesus? Essentially, I want you to relax in my promises take me seriously enough that amidst the anxiety and the stress and all that's around us that you're able to relax in my presence is that what you think about when you think about what God requires of you is my question for all of us today it's fitting that John was the one who stressed this because after Jesus predicted his own death and there was a bounty out for his head as we see at the tail end of the Gospels and there was all of the things twirling around this group of disciples, where was John in that moment? Do you remember? He was leaning on the chest of Jesus. That's a gold star for you, Philip. Literally into The the rabbis embrace a living picture of the work that God requires of us. So here it is, to relax in the identity that you can't earn because it was freely given. That's for all of us this morning. Jesus turned the table on these requirements. You did not choose me, but I chose you. The rabbis were choosing these young boys to apprentice, but Jesus said, "No, no. I chose you." He told them at the Last Supper before Jesus' discipleship was an application to it, almost like it's almost like an Ivy League school, and Jesus turned it into a call to any that it would receive from Him. Why? that you might be with him, be present with Jesus. Be present with Jesus. He changed the game, and we have access to that even today. Secondly, is to become like Jesus. Here in Luke 5, he comes and finds Peter. Christ does fishing for that second time after a full night without a catch, he tells him to throw his nets on the other side of the boat. Let's pick it up from that part of the story that we're all so familiar with. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats to full that they, begin, they actually began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell At Jesus knees and said go away from me Lord I am a sinful man for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so were James and John the sons of Zebedee Simon's partners then Jesus said to Simon don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people notice who's present here in this story Peter, James, and John, the same people that we read about in Mark chapter 1. But notice what the invitation that Jesus gives them. I'll send you out to fish for people. That's the same invitation that he gave in Mark chapter 1. Only this time around, that invitation is received by the same people from a brand new vantage point. He fell at the knees of Jesus. Abba, that's how they know God first. Lord, that's who we discover God to be when we fall on our knees. It's this amazing moment where everything is starting to make sense to these disciples. N.T. Wright said that there are two journeys of liberation in the book of Exodus when it comes to to Moses and the freedom from from slavery. The first is to... Get the Israelites out of slavery. And the second is to get slavery out of the Israelites. Remember, it doesn't just stop with the first part. First, there's that journey where we discover and meet our Abba Father. That's called grace. We discover his love and his care for us. But when we hit our knees before him, before Jesus, There's this second journey, and it's called actual freedom from the things that entangle. And sadly, many believers today have discovered the former without the latter. We have invented a version of discipleship without the latter. We've invented it without mature freedom. That's a version you will not find on the pages of Scripture. Look at it in Hebrews chapter 5 here. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. Baby food is perfect for an infant who is learning to chew, but if, it, but if it was meant for you in for you lunch and I pulled out a container, or if I met with you for lunch and I pulled out a container of mashed up, carrots, I think you would probably start to wonder. Although, I just heard that some places in the U.S., in Portland, baby food, adult baby food is a thing again. I have no idea. Look it up. The invitation of discipleship we grow into is mature grace. So how do you and I grow up? How do we travel the second part of this journey that I just mentioned? In Exodus, that is all the parts that maybe we tend to skip over at times. If we're reading about the actions of God and the plagues and the parting of the seas and the pillars turning to fire, serving as a guide for these people, God then gives them these instructions for living and He commands for building a counterculture in the daily grind of ordinary life. He actually does that in this passage, but what happens is it's this part of Exodus where we tend to lose a bit of steam. If you're doing the read your Bible in a year strategy, we kind of skip over some of this. It's how God gets this enslavement out of them. It's the journey that Peter takes On his knees, when Jesus came as a liberator, restoring his true identity. And he came as Lord because we need reformation to live and enjoy the freedom that new identity affords us. Jesus is just as upfront about the pathways of discipleship as he is about the destination of heaven. He says, I came to bring life and life to the full But it's going to feel at times like losing our life at first, giving up control, and our lordship gets surrendered to another, but that is the only way to take hold of this thing in its purest, most fullest form, church. When Jesus was quizzed about what is the greatest commandment, remember this? He says, God, love God and love people. The teacher of the law who asked Jesus this question is impressed. And he agrees with him actually 100%. And then he says, Jesus says something very interesting or almost cryptic to him. When he saw that he answered wisely, then he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Hmm. To understand is to come close, but if you want in on this kingdom, you must embody it from the core of of who we are. You must know God equally as Abba and as Lord. Jesus is saying something very blunt to this man that we need to learn, that all true creative freedom happens within almost like the limits or the guide points that he puts in place. For example, a poet, he will operate in the ordered 14 lines of a sonnet for the sake of creative freedom and expression. An artist paints within the four corners of, of that canvas for the sake of creative freedom and expression. A musician respects the sheets of music to join in on that free expression of harmony and all, with all of the other instruments. It's a fascinating thing. Creative freedom is the invitation, but it will feel like constraints at first. Wow. I love that. God's forgiven you everything. Past, present, and future. That's got nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. It was a costly gift and a cost was his life, but he paid for it for you and for me and all of humanity, and that gift was free for us. That is called grace, and church, that is good news. Who's with me? That is the best news, but he didn't set us free so that we could just lie in a prison cell where the door was wide open, and we're just staring at the freedom that's right there. He didn't set you free only so after you die, you might go to a place called heaven. He sets you free so that you could know the full, eternal life, lasting kind of life, right now, today, in 2021. So that heaven and earth could overlap in your numbered days, my numbered days here on earth, bringing heaven to earth where Jesus uses us to bring that reality to everyone around us. That's who Jesus is. And the freedom is to become like Him. That is also good news. Both end. One of my favorites, as I quote often, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Hmm. It remains an abstract idea, a myth, which is a place for the fatherhood of God, but omits Christ as the living Son. Wow. So I must sum it up in this way. If you want the life of Jesus, you have to take on the lifestyle of Jesus. I submit this cycle of spiritual maturity. If you are on a spiritual journey, which I know all of us are in some way or another, whether you have walked with Christ for decades or you're still discovering what this all means, the spiritual journey is in all of humanity. It's important to know where you've come from and where you are going. We know that spiritual life is not a start from one place and then from here to there to there, but if you've been doing this journey with Christ long enough, you almost know it's like a cycle. Who's with me? Whew. I wish it was more linear, but man, mistake after mistake, I find myself coming around the bend often. We repeat ourselves, we continue to be formed into God's image over and over again. There's a guy named Pete Gregg, he calls this the cycle of spiritual maturity. Three things where we see, we celebrate, or, excuse me, we see, we sacrifice, and we celebrate. The one, here, see, let me explain. It's all about the wonder of God. The revelation where something new is discovered and seen about God in His invitation to us. It's come, follow me. He's chosen me. He's calling me. It's that moment. I love the see, the wonder of God. And then there's the sacrifice that comes next. Every invitation from God that requires us to lay something down. There's always a stripping of the before. Then there's there's a putting on. It's Jesus saying you can bring all of this with you. Or excuse me, you can't bring all of this with you. It's Jesus telling us that when I say drop your nets, I meant drop your nets. But now look where I am taking you with your obedience. Eugene Peterson, a wonderful man, following Jesus doesn't get us where we want to go. It gets us where Jesus goes. That hit me hard. Discipleship to Jesus did not make Peter and the others more popular. It did not get them in on that inner circle of exclusive company that following another rabbi would have would have received or gotten for them or with them it actually brought them into a proximity with the marginalized it created opportunity for them to reach those who were forgotten about with those who were rejected from the temple with those who were thought to be unclean and the furthest away from the presence of god it cost them greatly and yet it was this place where they experienced the presence the true presence where they saw His power poured out, where they saw God at work in those very places with the very people from a young age they were, they were told to avoid. All of a sudden, things looked a lot different. We see and we sacrifice and then we celebrate in this cycle of spiritual maturity. On the other side of the sacrifice always comes a blessing and I don't want us to forget this. Once we have seen something about God's worth risking and coming empty-handed to God, he then pours out what? His blessing on his kids. Wow. Can you find yourself in that cycle somewhere? I think we have moments where we are celebrating, moments where we're rediscovering, moments where we're sacrificing, and it just continues to move us forward when you can it permits you to when you see yourself somewhere on that that cycle it permits you to live freely into that stage or maybe to recognize that you're moving from one stage into the next so I can then freely let go and take hold of where God is inviting you to in this next chapter of life often It's about just being aware of what God is doing and saying in the moment and not being swayed by the voices and the opinions that surround, but actually leaning into what the Lord is saying for your life, for today. Richard Foster says, All of creation watches expectantly for the springing up of a disciplined, freely gathered, uh, martyr people who know in this life the life and power of the kingdom of God. It had happened before, and it can happen again, church. Can we be the sort of disciples who dance in our chosenness before Abba and fall on our knees before the Lord Jesus? A question that I'm asking myself on the daily in this season. To be with Jesus, to, to be with Him, To become like him. And I close with the third part. To do what Jesus modeled. What exactly did Jesus do? What did he model? Well, let him speak for himself here in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor... And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' ministry, in summary, was a stunning revelation of love. It was a powerful love, a meaning love by the power of the Spirit, and it was a suffering love, meaning love by the suffering of Christ. This was who Jesus modeled. This powerful love, no denying that there was a supernatural element to the way that he expressed the Father's love. We saw that through the miracles and the signs and the wonders of the kingdom of God. Good news for the poor, freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, healing for the sick, and salvation for the lost. This was the promise. It's impossible to believe the claims of Jesus and deny his miraculous work. Who agrees? It's impossible. Thomas Jefferson tried to do it. I shared that with you a few months ago. Where he liked the teachings of Jesus, but he cut out all of the miracles. And what did that leave his Bible? Well, it left it very tattered and barely held together. Because these four Gospels and the miracles and the teachings that we read all throughout the life of Jesus, it's all intertwined. They are wrapped together. You cannot separate one from the other. So where where did his power come from? The gospel writers go to great lengths to show us that it was the Spirit empowering everything that Jesus was doing. Here's a few examples up on the screen. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. As well, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Again, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And finally, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he says. And there's so many others. These are just a few. The Holy Spirit is the power source behind everything that Jesus did and taught. This mattered because near the end of his life, he started taking a whole lot, talking a whole lot about leaving and sending. Remember? I'm going, but this is a good thing, guys, because unless I go, I can't send my spirit. That's what we have access to. The remainder of the New Testament is essentially ordinary people like me. And like you, doing the same things that Jesus did. Speaking words of knowledge, casting out demons, writing instructions to the church for the, the responsible, ordered use of supernatural. And at times, almost chaotic, but with a ton of fruit attached to these moments of believing and trusting in who God is. These were ordinary people filled with the Spirit of Jesus, doing the works of Jesus. That's you, and that's me, and that's what Jesus desires for our life. Teresa of Avila Avila says this, Christ has no body now but yours. Go out and be Christ's body to the world. That's our call. Christ incarnated here in Calgary at school drop-off, at work tomorrow morning, at a dinner with friends, at sports on a Saturday morning. We are supernatural people, and discipleship is the journey of discovering and embodying that day-to-day. That being said, the most profound use of the supernatural wasn't opening the eyes of the blind or preaching to the masses. It was not cleansing the leopard or forgiving the prostitute, as we read about in the Gospels. But it's this, greater love has no one than this, the one to lay down one's life for one's friend, in John 15. These most profound acts of love was not when Jesus acted like God by doing, it's when he acted like God by his suffering. Hmm, the suffering of Jesus. What is he calling me and you to do? That's the the million-dollar question that often paralyzes us. As I close this morning, and I was thinking about this and processing this these last few days, I want to tell you what God is calling you to do and for me to do. It's summed up so beautifully by a pastor. His name is Tyler. Tyler it's not on the screen but I want you to listen to these words God's telling you to be a worship leader not the kind that holds a guitar God's calling you to spend yourself on behalf of the poor to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and to shelter the houseless your call is to learn the names of your neighbors and care about how they're doing. It is to pray so hard that your tears say what your words cannot. Hmm. Your call is to listen presently and attentively to the burdens of your friends, to listen especially to those who disagree, you disagree with, Letting story turn caricature into humanity. It is to preach the gospel in winsome ways, most of the time, in a few awkward ways, in the exception moments. It is to love the person hardest for you to love, and forgive the person who won't admit that they are wrong, that they've wronged you in the first place. It is to endure personal embarrassment so someone else doesn't have to. And to get beyond your comfort zone, to enter his or her. Your call is to read Scripture constantly enough, slowly enough that God's reality is the one who lives in you. It is to share a prophetic word because it might be way off but it just actually might be God. Take a bit of risk. It is to pray for healing even when it didn't work the last time and to use your voice to advocate for the silenced. Your call is to hug that woman who is a hugger and to fist pump the guy who barely even wants you to do that. It is to unload the dishwasher when you did not dirty a single one of those dishes and to wipe the toilet seat when someone else's kid made the mess. Hello. It is to visit your sick friend from the hospital and to call your mom to see how she's doing. It's to get to know the incarcerated individual by name and to keep on gathering in your community even when they are underwhelming and awkward and difficult and their social media posts make you want to pull your hair out. Your call is to live today, like God is Father, and everyone around you is sister and brother. And to really believe that that is enough to renew the whole of creation, because He has filled you with the Spirit, and He's called you to be a witness. That is a follower of Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. As we close, Carly, you can come on up. Here's our call powerful love, suffering love to the ordinary people who make up our ordinary lives. The way we say that around here, and I'd like us to say it around here, is to do what Jesus modeled. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up that cross, and follow me. But remember, what's that first few words? If anyone, that is a call to everyone. Jesus started redemption with the leftovers. After the other rabbis had handpicked the cream of the crop, through flawed people, God offered redemption to other flawed people. And here we are. We will continue to live that out in this local church. Through midweek community, in homes, by gathering around tables and enjoying each other's company. Because, church, a weekly Sunday gathering like this, as much as I believe in it and it has in such importance, it's actually insufficient for the ancient call of becoming a disciple. I want to humbly but clearly call all of us back to community. If you've been waiting for that invitation from someone, well, here it is. Come on back. Invite us into that joy and that complexity of the supernatural and the ordinary, these ways of discipleship that Jesus modeled for us. It involves real relationship with real people and the ways that you can safely engage in that. That, of course, matters right now. There's a safety involved of our health, the things that we're dealing with presently. I want to call us back, all of us back to our church family. It is out of love and it is for love, for all of us. This is the way of discipleship. It is life and life to the full. Dallas Willard, as I conclude the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking uh, needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices practitioners of Jesus Christ steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven uh, heaven's corner of human existence have a look at that, read that a few times Come, follow me, Jesus says, full circle, and I will send you out to fish for people. What is our response? Will we drop our nets? Will we fall to our knees in surrender? Will you and I be empowered by the Spirit to suffer in love for others? Because Jesus says, Come, follow me. Let's pray, church. Lord, I thank you so much for this moment in our week, this reminder of your goodness and your grace. Lord, you, you are present, you are with us. You have not, even for a moment, left us. Would we, as we move on with our day today, not move on from that promise, that your heart is for us, that your desire is to see each of us walk with such grace where our response to the challenges would be that of patience, that of turning a script of challenge and disconnect and disagreement into a heart of a servant. Would we find that in our in these moments that all of us are experiencing through the the days and weeks. Holy Spirit, would you give us the words to say? Would you give us a perspective beyond how how we're feeling in the moment and turn the moment into a a place of, of redemption, of healing, of restoration, of relationship? God, I thank you that We have that opportunity to be with you, to be like you, Lord, and to do what you call us to do. That is our mandate. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for your space and your week to be here this morning. Our team will be down if you'd love some prayer. As always, we'll be taking our best attempt at managing these protocols. If you could keep your mask on while you're in the building, I graciously ask you to do that. And keep praying for our leaders and for the decision makers as we move forward in these weeks ahead. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Tonight, final, final time for uh, School of the Heart with Luke and Sophie Niebregal. They will be here for week four here at six o'clock. You don't want to miss that. Have a great afternoon.